Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. Welcome to season six of the Love Good Podcast. Now, here's my first question. Maybe one of the most fundamental questions we could ever ask. Have you ever thought about why you were born in the time and place that you are? I mean, think about how crazy it is. Providence of place, providence of history. Why are we living in these times, right? We are well into 2021, okay? All of us are finding, you know, some level of belonging, perhaps even stability in the place where we find ourselves. There's some of you out there who are maybe in the process of moving like I was a year ago. Maybe some of you are sort of nomadic or missionary. That would make sense too. But for the most part, there's a profound sense of belonging to a place and to a time for all of us. The question is why? Why here? Why now? Here at the beginning of season six, as we're launching a whole new uh, series of conversations on the podcast, I'm sitting down with Dr. Ryan Hanning to address these very questions and the great freedom that comes when you discern your vocation well. And vocation is not just a permanent state of life, although that is primarily what it is. You're married, you're a priest, you're religious, uh, you're husband, father, wife, mother, uh, whatever it is that God ultimately calls you to be in response to his love, right? That's sort of the primary vocation, no doubt about it. But there's also these kind of secondary and tertiary vocations that have everything to do with mission and place. And today we really dive into this, I would call it tertiary vocation, this this tertiary calling to a particular place at a particular time, which very deeply can inform the secondary vocation, which is the mission entrusted to us, what our lives are about. And most importantly, it can be submitted and and really inform our primary vocation, right? Husband, father, wife, mother, priest, religious, consecrated, whatever it might be, single person. So we got a lot of really fun stuff to talk about today. I want you to know even now that our Everything Must Go sale is still underway. So if you've not been to lovegoodculture.com slash store, we're almost at a point where we're giving stuff away. All right. So you got to go get your hands on the best deals in Love Good history. And in a moment, as always, I'll be back with Dr. Ryan Hanning. But for now, enjoy Steady, which is a 2020 single from Nick Fabian. Uh, Dr. Ryan Hanning, welcome back. It feels like it feels like home. 
So good well, to be back. it's funny. You should be welcoming me because this is more your home than mine these days. I know this is crazy. So I, I mean, big, big transition, big steps in your life. So. I'm having a hard time not having a pity party, to be honest, because <laughs> I mean, 16 years in Nashville is a long time. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's it's amazing though because that 16 years was preparation for your arrival, where the Lord is calling <laughs> you next. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it, and I do believe it's true. But you've only been here for now two years. Going on three, three years, years, actually. Yeah, it's funny. I was just Crazy. describing the situation to somebody, and I said, you know. For, you know, we had the plan to move out to this area, right? We had we had triangulated between like Lexington, you know, over to maybe Louisville and then back down to Nashville. Like that was- I just came from Lexington. That was the area. I think you chose well. I love Lexington. I'm out there quite a bit. It's a great place, but I think we chose well as well. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because I was explaining to somebody that the process of moving for five years, we had this dream in our heart, but that, that dream was an immature one and it was more like running away. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, in our discernment process, there's this transition point where it felt like less like running away and more like being drawn towards. Yeah. And in some ways, for the first time in our life, we had this real clarity about like, oh, this is where the Lord is calling us. Like, we have to go. You mean you didn't just come for the Tennessee whiskey and the live music by Grammy award-winning artists who happen to be your neighbors? That's, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's part thing. of it. <laughs> that's part of it. But Because uh, you've got stories yeah. now. This is what's crazy. I mean, I'm loving the culture of Tampa. And I'm more and more learning just about the, the history of the place. And, you know, there's a very, very different kind of demographic in that part of the country. It's just, I mean, in some ways, it's the seed of the country in many ways. I mean, we think well, of, you know, also. like yeah. Washington, D.C. and New York. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the, the heritage that came over from Europe, I mean, that's where they were at. That's uh-huh. where it first took root, you uh-huh. know, it was actually in Florida. And so there's some amazing, you know, culture there that people don't realize. Right. And the integration there with, the, you know, the, the First Nations and whatnot is really, it's a different story than what we hear up, uh, you know, on the Eastern seaboard. So. True. And I guess what's interesting to me is I, I feel like I could, at this point, though, sit down and listen to your stories about your transition to a part of the country that, apart from live music, would have never really been discovered. Middle Tennessee is obviously a very unique but kind of hidden part of the country. And, And up until Nashville exploded in the last 15, 20 years, most people didn't really know much about Nashville either, you know? And here you guys are coming in. I, I mean, I feel like you, you barely made it before things were just popped up. Yeah, crazy. I mean, even the real estate is just insane right now. But you have a hemp farm, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So we're, we're certified hemp growers, hemp processors. We're living the dream. We got our cow calved finally. So now we we had one of our our sort of a lot of our homesteading highs are very connected to our homesteading failures or lows. <laughs> you know, a few years ago, I think I told the story when we got the bull, we brought the bull in, we successfully, you know transfer this you know big bull to our property what we thought was big it's pretty tiny but right when we let him go he just busted right through the fence so we only owned him for about 38 seconds now the good news is he did come back you know a few weeks later and (laughs) and how we were good we fixed the fence and everything was fine but we just had a calf so we feel like now like oh wow we've actually successfully you know and if this calf the calf's looking really good so it will feel like we've we've arrived at least in, in knowing more about that. So you don't name the farm an- animals, do you? Yeah. So some of them we do, <laughs> and then some we don't. And so it just sort of depends on on what the purpose of the animal mm-hmm. is on the farm. I was so. going to say my sister and brother in law, and now two nephews and niece. They all live on a five acre. You call it a mm-hmm. farm. I mean, they're they're homesteading to yeah. an extent, and uh, they're out in Oregon, but. You know, they didn't want their sons to get too attached to the cows when they first bought those. It's a couple of years ago. So one was named Burger. Okay. And yep. the other was named Steak. And that kept everybody nice and detached. Yeah. And, uh, and I think they're still eating the meat, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, looking year for, later. we're looking forward to getting some good good fresh meat. So, uh-huh. but it's, it's amazing. I've had this conversation with so many people too. Like, I understand if, you, if you're the position 
that that you don't eat meat from for for some choice of how you understand what proper dominion is over animals. But if you eat meat, you can't have an issue with like what we have to do to our cows yeah. and our chickens and our ducks to feed our family. Like if you eat meat, then you're you're culpable for what has to happen. I'm so and, tempted to now go on a tangent about like the legitimacy of veganism. Huh? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, and, and whether or not it's healthy would be another thing. But maybe, maybe as, I, as I'm as I'm looking at my post COVID nineteen belly, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I don't need more beef. But anyhow, yeah. But so yeah, you know, we've we've entered into this place. It's been amazing because you know part of entering into a place is one is sort of you know what what brought you there. Mm-hmm. I think is that purity of purpose and going, but then also how welcomed you are. And what's been amazing about our experience here is that you know really we've come into a place where people are just like you know, open-armed. And yeah. in other parts of, of the country, other parts of the world, I mean, to, to bring a large family might be a very different experience. But but for for our neighborhood and for our community and our family and our church and our people, it's like a renewal. They they see our 10 children as like the the, the future. Yeah, wow. And so there's a, a different interaction that's been so beautiful. It doesn't come without its trials, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's been it's really, been really beautiful. And so, you know, when I'm when I'm sitting at the the local Jolton hardware store, highly recommend it, you know, drinking a beer, listening to some live music while I'm grabbing my goat feed, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of thinking this is, this is pretty cool. You know, where else can you do this? And so now oh, when friends man. come in town, especially friends who are musicians, like the first thing we do is like, we go over to mm-hmm. the, the Jolton feed store and taking some live music and get a good burger. And, but it, and even that place itself, I mean, is a good example of, of, you know, of community and what that mm-hmm. looks like. And, what it means to have sort of a local feel and a local commitment to each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that place becomes a great meeting place for the local beekeepers and the local ranchers and the local farmers. And so for a homesteader like me who has no idea what I'm doing, yeah. you know, it's a great place to be able to enter into a relationship with people who can, can, can help you, mm. which, you know, most people are really willing to do. It's funny. I mean, if you think of this for a moment, you know, every time, and C.S. Lewis reflects on this, right? Every time you learn something or meet somebody that, and, and you really are excited about it, the first impulse is not to hold it to yourself. You want to share. You want to share it. Yeah, yeah. This is when you discover a new band and whatnot, you know? And, and for the most part, there's not even limits of that share. You, you like sort of want everyone to know. Yeah. This is why Facebook is so big because we all instinctually want everyone to know our business, right. even though we also simultaneously want privacy and all those things. Right. But, you know, it's, it's incredible because, you know, this this willingness to share is, is at the heart of, of you know, especially ag- agrarian communities, because to learn the technique and understand what's going on and improve upon it, and so yeah, it's been been a beautiful place. So our three years in, in Nashville has been incredible, and as far as as far as we're concerned, we feel called this place, and it's, it's cool. We I expect mean, to stay. And I would love maybe in a few episodes we can have a whole conversation about the nature of maybe less traditional education. You know, not the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, the the kind of books that you've read, the kind of mentors that yeah. you've had, the conversations you now have at the local you know, ag feed store. What do you call yeah. it? Well, it's technically the, the hardware store. Hardware store. But it's With hardware store it. slash restaurant slash feed store slash. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. That's and incredible. Only them, in Nashville. Only in Nashville. Yeah. With, and locally brewed beer. Yep. And and with Hinosis next door, which is a phenomenal uh, mushroom grower. There you go. Yeah. There you so. go. And I think there's a lot to be gained in sort of this constant return to humility born of wonder as we yeah, called it on yeah. you know previous episodes this idea that we're never done learning we're never done growing yep. that's kind of how i'm feeling now that i'm living in or working in an educational environment every day i've never felt dumber in my entire life yep. I, in a good way i've never felt more humbled by the vastness of human knowledge and 
experience. And, and, and the curiosity in which people receive it. Right? For sure. <laughs> like there's a sort of, you know, once you're in the educational setting, it, it's it's also it's simultaneously that wonder and awe about the depth of human knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then also the wonder and awe about how it is that that knowledge is transmitted and received, mm -hmm. which ends up is not as easy as we'd like. Right? That's right. But yeah, you know, this, this sense of wonder is so key. I mean, I've been I've been thinking a lot, like a lot of what I've been reading and writing, and this is my own prayer, my own conversations, especially now that we've been in Nashville for not that long, but a lot of questions like, why did you leave your place? You know, mm -hmm. and, and this, this idea of place has been like this constant sort of reverberating theme. And if you think for a moment, I mean, it's really, it's really sort of telling, right? Like, you know, if you're a person of faith, then you believe in a God of, of infinite wisdom, a God of infinite love and mercy, a God who created and breathed you into being, had a plan and a purpose for you. Well, if that is the case and you're a person of faith, then the time and place you were born is really significant. Mm. All right, God, why would you have me born to, to that family in that city in that time period? Mm. And how you respond to that, you know, is really about you your life's journey and your mission in life, right? Am I going to respond to that as a real opportunity and a gift? Or am I going to see my time and place as a burden? And I think we live in a, such a transient society, people really don't think about that. I mean, constantly people are trying to escape their time and place. And when I was doing my undergrad at ASU, we had a, a professor, Sam Gill, who in many ways was sort of like the, the, the successor of, of a lot of the work of, of others on comparative religion. And he talks about religion. What religion does mm. is it orients you in time and space. It's a system yeah. of beliefs that orients you in time and place, gives you uh, understanding of where you are. Mm -hmm. And we've sort of lost that. We've ran away from it. I mean, most people in their lifetime have 13 careers. Most yeah, people move crazy. to six different cities. Like you start going through this and you start realizing, well, there's a real unrootedness yeah. that can come from not having a proper sense of place. And people already feel so unsettled. Yep. And existentially orphaned in yeah. these times that I think the desire and the hunger for stability, for membership, for belonging, never been more important. And, and a sense of purpose. You know, my mom just picked up and moved to Florida as well. Yeah. I told her this yes, year. I heard. And one of the first things she said when she moved there is, you know, I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for a social life. She goes, I'm looking for a mission. Yeah. Yep. And that I think is tied to this, you know, providence of place that we've talked about before, but this sense of calling to a people at a time for a particular purpose. I don't know how people live without that. And at the moment, I think given that my life is less transient than ever, less mobile than ever, I'm rejoicing that there is a place and that there is a time and that there is a, a people that God has called me to right yeah. now. I don't know that everybody feels that in their life, you know, but I think they long for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's written on the human heart. And I think when it, you know, it comes to it, I always talk about sort of other vocation that we don't think about, right? So we have our, you know, our universal call to holiness, you know, put another way, it's a universal call to be a decent human being, right? Like, you know, <laughs> and then you have that. And then you also have this particular vocation, your state of life, right? How you're going to live out your gifts and talents and service to the community and the service to the next generation, whether that be, you know, in religious life or as a single or married, you know, whatever the case might be. And then you have that sort of smaller V, which is your like job and the way that you you bring your talents and skills and and the conspiracy of grace of all your experiences to right provide mm. for some hopefully some meaningful right exchange of labor to provide for sustenance for your family and for your community right? this is making a gift of oneself mm -hmm. in terms of your right tactical or your mental abilities what we might call a job right but there's this fourth vocation that a lot of people don't think about and it's funny because you know, if you look at scripture if if you look even at just like 
modern pop psychology. I mean, they all sort of talk about the, the importance of place, mm-hmm. both where you come from, right? The pop psychology, the family of origins, like all the buzz. Mm. And it, it gets sort of, you know, unfortunately inflated where now all your problems are because your family of origin, right? right? All your problems are because of the place you were brought from. Disney does this as well. Disney is, Anthony Eslin calls the modern Disney stories anti-stories yeah. because the, the typical story arc recognizes that where you were born in the place and time actually contributed to who you are. And then you're sent from that place, and then you're then you return to that place. Whereas most modern Disney stories are the parents are idiots, the the tribe mm-hmm. is an idiot, no one knows who you are. You have to leave your place to discover who you are. Yeah. You know, I, I tried that when I was 16. I tried it again when I was 20. It never worked, right? It ends up that that my people that 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 through through God's wisdom and providence, even with all its bumps and bruises and the the, the turmoil of family life and all that, God God had a plan there, and I mm-hmm. and that that prepared me for the mission I'm on now. So this this fourth V vocation of 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 understanding your commitment to place yeah. and whether that means you stay where you are and I would I always tell people you know, especially young couples I say look you know that the purpose of the first place you find yourself whether that be your your original family or, or the place you really come to age you know that's a place that good or bad has a significant impact on your life mm. right and the idea then is is not to move on to the next place until you really understand what the contribution of that place was to making you who you are. Yeah, well said. Yeah, really coming to terms with it. That's a major reflection for me right now, largely because I grew up in Atlanta and we moved around quite a bit, you know, as kids. But by the time I was at Vanderbilt here in Nashville, developing a prayer life for the first time, eventually going off to seminary, there was a period of time where I reflected deeply on my family of origin, Mm -hmm. on my upbringing and the, you know, irrepeatable influence that mom and dad and my brother and sister and even close friends and mentors, coaches had on me up until that point. Only since leaving Nashville in the last year have I had some seriously reflective time to consider what these last 15 or 16 years here have been for me. And I think this is the danger. You know, we don't really want to feel the pain of loss or the challenge of of leaving a place behind when the Lord does call. Yep. So the danger for me is to just sort of perhaps disregard or, or underemphasize yeah. the irrepeatable contribution that's made to the man that I've become. However, this week, the big call that I keep hearing in, in prayer is be grateful. Yeah. Like it's okay to grieve a little bit here and yeah. don't let Nashville you know, be anything but a source of tremendous joy moving forward, even if you don't feel the same sense of purpose or the same sense of calling or the same sense of membership that you have felt yeah. for the last 16 years, you wouldn't be who you are and you certainly wouldn't be giving of yourself in the way that you are if it wasn't for who Nashville and better yet, the people of Nashville, the church in Nashville yeah formed me to be in the, in the years I spent here. And know? because of that formation, then you're able to hear the voice, you're able to be sent, you're mm. able to move in, you're able to bring a new set of gifts that you wouldn't otherwise have. And so mm. this respect for place is not about necessarily being immobile, though for some people, they have to discern it. I mean, I, mm. I talk to a lot of people who say, just like you discern your, your little V vocation, your job, what are your proclivities, your aptitude, what are you good at? You also have to discern your state of life. You have to yeah. discern... Your, how you live out your 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 call to holiness, or your call to be a full flourishing human being that you know is in right relation with God, with each other, and with the land that we talk about so often. But but then really to to discern in much the same way, where am I called? Who are my people? How am I called to serve? Where mm. am I called to serve? And that might mean if you don't have a handle on on what that looks like in the place you currently are, 
you probably need to figure that out first. Yeah. Because what happens is if you leave to a new place with, without that, I mm. mean, you're never going to get a parade. You're not going to get a commission, right? When, <laughs> you know, when, when we sell this place, you know, you sell this place, it's not going to be like, you know, the scroll is opened up and like, Jimmy, you are sent, right? You're not getting your troop orders. Um, but but the sense of, of real maturity of understanding that that place is significant. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, when Walker Piercy writes, you know, the, the last great self-help book, Lost in the Cosmos, he talks about this, this, this disrootedness. Romano Guardini talks about dislocation as mm. the fundamental angst of, mm. of modern man. Because yeah. we're so unsettled and dislocated from our place and from our time. And because, you know, so there's these two extremes I should mention real quick. One is voluntarism, which just says, look, you know, it's my will. It's all on me. Mm. And this idea then is that you have, you have to rise above, that your place doesn't matter, right? You know, I'm a self-made person. I can do it all on my own. And we see a lot of these threads right now. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of even some of the justice movements are not recognizing that even though the experience of the past may have been harsh or difficult, they were still formative nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. And then the other extreme is a sort of you know radical determinism that's oh I am only mm. my place and my people. Yeah. Or that is you know that's that I I can't leave that or something. You know, that no, that's not the, that's the truth at all. You're, that's the extreme that I flirt with sometimes. Yeah. I mean, so engrossed or attached to a place. You know. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I think I've shared it with you before, and and I had the opportunity to have some brief correspondence, written correspondence with Wendell Berry. That's like my prized treasure. <laughs> In my safe at home, I have very few things. I've like all the actually a lot because all the child records. Which when you have ten kids, it's like a lot of stuff. One day we're going to publish but, a book though. The, the correspondence between Dr. Yeah, Ryan Hand yeah, and Wendell Berry. It's very short. It's a very short book. <laughs> but you know, but he talks about it. You know, because. Because what I essentially, I, I, I like poured my heart out and said, look, I don't feel home in mm. Phoenix. I don't. I don't feel, I feel like I've been able to bring my gifts. I feel like, you know, all these things, but this has never felt like home for me. Yeah. You know, and I, I moved at a young age from San Diego, moved around. I lived in eight different households by the time I was 10. I mean, mm. I always knew I was loved, but there's a lot of disrootedness, right? Mm. Which is probably why I love my grandparents' house so much because yeah. like stable, you yeah. know? It's interesting, the you know, psychologists say, if you have dreams that are reoccurring, like at, usually at your grandparents' house or one stable home or something, because yeah. that's like a sort of sense of a physical yeah. you know, approximation of home. But anyways, so I write him this whole letter and he says, you don't, don't, don't move. He's like, don't come to the land with all your sickness. You'll just bring it with you. Mm. He's like, first, really dive in. Mm. to like a much more mature understanding of the place you're in mm-hmm. and what you've contributed and how you've, you're called to be a member. And, and then from there, discern what yeah. that movement to a new place looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that real honest discernment about where am I called to be? Who are, are the people I'm called to, to live with, to mm-hmm. form my mind, to form mm-hmm. my thoughts, to, to, to form how I'm filled with hope and joy or what breaks my heart with sadness. He's in mm-hmm. the words of Father Pedro Rupe, you know? And, and then from there, you know, then you can start, really start to discern, like, am, am I called to this place? And think that is not for 99% of people, that is not the discernment. The discernment is, can I be paid more here? Or can I get a job here? Mm. Now, it's interesting. For a lot of mothers, the discernment is, is this a better place for my children? Which is right. which is actually much better yeah. <laughs> form of discernment than just the economic one, as important as that might be. So this this idea of, of place is so central. And, and even for the person without faith, you know, they they're they're they have a deep curiosity as why why here, why now? Mm. You know, and they yeah. have this 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 desire too to to be contributive, to to reciprocate and give the gifts they've been given. And, and that requires, because we're physical, mortal beings, that requires that we have a limited time span to do it mm. and that we have to affect that in some physical way yeah, through some exchange of relationships or goods. And so even for the person of Alphay, this still is a question, but man, how much more so for the Christian, right? Lord, yeah. you have placed me in this time and place and woe to me if I don't see that as an opportunity and a gift to serve. 
practically speaking, how do you navigate those questions? You know, what kind of time do you set aside every day, whether you're, you know, praying or journaling mm-hmm. or conversing with a mentor or a friend that you trust? Is this something where people need to disappear once a year and find, you know, three to five days in a desert or in a cave <laughs> or on a, you know, retreat center of some kind, just to sort of really recollect and ask the questions? The reason I'm asking is because some people don't have a lot of control about where they live or where the next job opportunity presents itself, or maybe they're in the military or they're religious and they're constantly sort of being shipped from one mission to the next. Or you got somebody right now who's probably just transitioning out of high school or just transitioning out of college. And so their sense of place and belonging is, is changing whether they like it or not. How can all of us, regardless of our season, regardless of our state of life, constantly ask that question without it becoming an obsession, yeah. right? It's kind of like yep. if if place is a, a rootedness, you know, you don't want to be constantly uprooting even the question of right. where I belong, lest it never really sink in. Yep. I suppose, how do you navigate, how do you discern this question of place and membership and belonging regardless of where you are, regardless of whether or not you're settled or unsettled, you know, people can slip into apathy and just sort of, this is how things are. And I I don't ask the big questions. How can most people practically ask those questions day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out? What do you think? Yeah, I I mean, I I know for myself, it needs to be a constant part of my prayer. And the prayer has to be like this, you know, right? We're all in pilgrimage. Our our home is our heavenly home. That's, That's our goal. And the things here are just an opportunity to prepare for that right? Everlasting home. So I, I always ask myself, you know, is, is the place I am currently, am, am I currently really bringing a gift of self to that place? Mm. Am I forming the type of relationships for however long the Lord has me here that I can look back on that time as deeply formative for myself and deeply meaningful for the people I was in relationship Contributed, with? Contributed, yeah. So that sort of just start right there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not about, do I like here or, you know, do I, do I feel good about being here? I mean, that's, uh-huh. that, that can be, that intuition can be part of it, but really that sort of daily and weekly constant prayer of like, Lord, you know, what think of your past? You know, what are the places that really contributed to forming who you are? Mm-hmm. And then the place you currently are, like, Lord, is this where you'd have me be? How can I? How can I do better in this place to prepare for whatever next place you'll have? Mm. And that openness to the Lord, Lord, are you calling me to to stay? Which, truthfully, I mean, I think in today's society, it's very often harder to stay than, the, yeah, than it yeah. is to go. Yeah. It's it's much harder for a son or daughter to say, you know what? I think I think I'm going to stay here because my parents need me. Mm. I think I think I'm going to say no to that better job because I've I've made friends here mm. that are, are meaningful, right? Like so, I mean, it can be just as hard. So I think it really has to be a much more you know common you know sort of part of our prayer life. Lord, you know, how would you have me serve this time and place? Yeah. And Lord, how is this time and place preparing me for either my heavenly home mm. or the next place you'll call me to? Mm-hmm. You know, you're being you're being called to to dive deeper <laughs> into, into Florida, right? So like that constant prayer, and I think when we do that well. It informs all the other aspects of vocation, right? It informs how we live out our state of life. It mm. informs how we do our job. Yeah, I remember talking to a guy who was really sort of magnanimous because he had an opportunity to go take uh, a job in another place. He said, oh, what was your discernment like? And I, I immediately, my discernment is like, how much money were you going to get paid? Were the benefits better? Do you have a nicer house? You know, would you be able to fulfill more of what your, your dreams are? And that was none of this conversation. He said, my discernment immediately was, Will that place honor the gifts I bring as much as the place I'm currently in? Yeah. yeah. Now he's a he's a Luther. He builds guitars. Yeah. But like that's a question. A Will question. the place that I might move to honor 
my gifts as much as they do here. Wow, yeah. Because if they really honor my gifts here and if I'm in great relationships and I don't feel called by the Lord to another place, then why would I move? Yeah, yeah. And so this this, this constant, you know, <laughs> this like real honest discernment of place, uh, again, always with the openness of the Lord might call you somewhere else mm. and always with the openness and understand that your, your true home is heaven yeah. and that everything here is but preparation for that. And there should always, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but there should always be a slight unsettledness, a slight... Yep feeling of not being home, of being a stranger and a sojourner. And I have, you know, I can look at so many different seasons of life where I have felt a part of something. Yeah. And even in travels, sometimes extended trips to to places, you know, across the world where I've been there for six weeks at a time. I mean, I was ready to set up shop and move there, you know? And yet there was always this restlessness that I hope was a holy restlessness they reminded me that even though I I desire deeply to belong, that we all have a, a a place that we are you know called to for a time, for a purpose. That ultimately it's all one big fat preparation for heaven, anyways. Absolutely, and that brings me peace, especially given that I am like a lot of artists in this town. There's always something more that you're chasing after. It kind of I, I suppose justifies the pursuit of more yep. majis. Always give me more, Lord, you know? Yeah, St. Thomas talks about that, that agitas, that, that sort of unsettledness of the mm-hmm. heart. And as long as it's focused on God, it can be yeah. really fruitful in one's life. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, depending on your 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 gifts and talents too, there's different timelines on these things. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're if you're an aspiring homesteader and farmer like I am, this is not like a three-year come to Nashville thing. I mean, Wendell Perry says you need three generations just to learn how the water flows in the land. Wow. Yeah. Joel Salatin, you know, who's who's who you know, sort of as a voice of reason, the agrarian movement right now. And he says, you need not, you can't have land big enough that you can't walk every day. Yeah. And I can just tell you out in the pasture, moving the cows yesterday, out there watering this morning. I mean, you know, the reality is I'm walking the path. Oh, look, we have nightshade growing right now. I need to, you know, I need to essentially, you know, Mm. plow the field. I need to do, I mean, you learn all these things. So certain occupations, certain things that you might be called to require a much longer you know, experience of, of place. So you're making a commitment then to a longer period. There's something with teaching. I mean, like, mm-hmm. or same thing, you know, for, for people in religious life. I mean, most pastors will tell you when they go to a church, you know, it's the, the first year just to, to sort of, just to, to learn the place. The mm-hmm. second year to sort of earn the right to be heard. And the third year, maybe, maybe the third year to make some changes or do something, yeah. right? Like yeah. there is a, you know, a reality of when you come to a place, there's got to be recognition of the type of gifts that you're bringing. Some mm-hmm. take much longer to water and fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important you know, yeah. to keep in mind. Amen. So, well, this yeah. is really good. And I think especially this call to bring it to the Lord in prayer, perhaps daily at times yeah. of, Lord, how are you calling me to serve? Um, how can my gifts be sort of best even honored, mm-hmm. but maybe more importantly, sort of used for your greater glory, Lord? Yeah. And to be open to those, you know, shifts and transitions that we can't even anticipate at times as well. And the invitations and the promptings and the callings. And of course, to to be that at times voice crying out in the desert yeah. in other people's lives, remind them, hey, you know, never stop asking these big questions about where you are in life, where God is calling yeah. you to serve, how he is calling you to, to play your part at a moment in history that nobody else can play. Right. It's always good, always good to sit down and have these conversations, Ryan. We'll be back with you in a few weeks and uh, who knows where we'll go next. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Until then.
You're listening to False Bottom World by Jay and Joe from their 2020 album, Victory, which, by the way, went out to our patrons somewhere towards the very beginning of 2020. And it is an incredible album. In fact, all music from Jay and Joe is incredible. So go to Spotify, check them out. Many of you know Jenea Trudell from our very first season of the Love Good Podcast. She was my co-host. That was the longest, I think, season we've ever had. We've now been doing 15 to 20 episodes per season. We're, of course, on season six. Very hard to believe. There's a lot of really big announcements coming all throughout season six. Next week will be one of the biggest announcements I've made, certainly in the last year or two. It, It affects really how we communicate and how Love Good will continue to fulfill its mission of evangelizing culture through beauty. It's going to be specifically an announcement about social media. So stay tuned for that. Very exciting stuff. Know that we have nothing but love and prayers in our heart, especially for our patrons out there. Thanks to all of you who have at some point gone to joinlovegood.com and been a part joined the movement, right? That is transforming culture from the inside out. We very much believe here at Love Good that beauty matters, that beauty ultimately leads to the truth of God's love. And that's what transforms our hearts, transforms our lives, and allows us to radiate goodness and virtue and ultimately God's very presence in a world that is dark and despairing, right? It's dark and despairing because there aren't enough saints living among us. So let's be those saints Know that we are praying for you, and please pray for us. I'll be back next week with Father Ryan and Dorjan. It'll be his at least inaugural episode of season six. If you did not catch our bonus series with Father Ryan and Dorjan, go back and check that out. That actually launched June 22nd. We did a four-part series all about C.S. Lewis and our favorite books by C.S. Lewis, again, with Father Ryan and Dorjan. So check that out, and I'll be sitting back down with Father Ryan next week. You guys are awesome. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful continuation of your summer. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.